Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out at our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. Well, hey, uh, good morning. Glad that you're here. If you're visiting with us, thanks for being here this weekend. Um, we are right in the middle of a series of talks. And uh, in this series of talks, we're, we're, the, the title of the series is Getting Your House in Order. And we've kind of been using this metaphor. You see it throughout the scriptures. It says that like our life is sort of like a house. And all of us, no matter if we're a Christian or not, we're all building some sort of house. We're building a life for ourselves. And uh, what we're doing is we're kind of stepping back and we're saying, okay, well, let's evaluate what kind of house are we building? Well, what's it going to look like? At the end of the day, everybody's going to look back on their life and they're going to say, well, this is the house that I built. This is what it looks like. Is it something that I'm proud of? Is it something that I wanted to build? What, what happened? And so we're trying to look at, okay, well, let's start looking at each arena of our life, each uh, room in the house, and let's see if this is something that we're going to be proud of that uh, we built. And so week one, what we did was uh, we talked about cleaning out your house. So if I think back to the first home that um, I remember, you know, growing up in and this first home that my parents owned here in California, um, it was when the church had just begun. They didn't have a whole lot of money and they could afford this house that, uh, well, it was owned by an older couple and eventually they got so old that they couldn't take care of the house anymore. And the, the, the wife, she had a bunch of cats, but she didn't have any yeah, like litter boxes anywhere in the house. So the house became kind of a litter box. Are you catching my drift? Are you, you yeah, okay. Uh, and so when we went in there after they purchased the house, it was at a deep discount. And my dad and I went in there before my mom and my sister were able to see it. And we had to rip out every carpet, everything, because it was just full of junk, all right? Full, it, it, it was crud. And so we had to get out there. In fact, it was so bad that um, my dad's friend came in and said, I'm going to need you to stay out of the house for about a week. I'm going to put a chemical, which may or may not be legal, on all the surfaces in the house so that we can get rid of this smell. So just come back in a week or so, and uh, hopefully it'll be gone, in which that happened. And so week number one, that's what we did. We said, all right, we, we in our souls, we just get all this crud built up. All the sin, all the junk, the things that are separating us from God. And so we just need to come, and it's called repentance. And repent and say, okay, God, I need you to just clear out all this kind of stuff that I've been harboring, that I've been building up, that's getting in the way of our, our relationship. And then week two, we talked about shoring up our foundation. So everybody is building their life on something. It's what shapes their identity, their purpose. It's what, uh, it's what really shapes our entire worldview. And Jesus makes this claim. He says, if you build your life on anything besides me, it's going to be like building your house on sand. And so we wanted to make sure that we had a, a firm foundation. And so we started to look at the different things. And during COVID, there's a building out here. It's called the Ranch House. You've probably seen it when you drive in the main entrance. It matches none of the other buildings around here, right? You just look at it and you go, huh, where did that come from? Yeah, no, it's weird. And so we used it for meetings, and we had services out there. And so during COVID, when nobody was out there, we thought, you know what, we should go, and let's look at it and see if there's some upgrades that we can make out there. And so as we started to look at the facility, I came to one place in, it where, uh, in, in the back where not a whole lot of people were uh, usually uh, meeting. And I noticed that the ground was really, really soft. In fact, it was like kind of spongy. It, it could kind of bounce a little bit. So I thought, I wonder if I can bounce. It's kind of like a trampoline. I wonder if I could bounce on this thing. And I take one big bounce, and I go straight through the floor all the way down to the foundation. 
It's because the floor joists, they had uh, rotted over time. They had water had soaked in, and eventually there's just nothing left. And so we had to spend months just yanking out stuff and making sure that we shored up the foundation. Because if we wanted to do anything with that building, if we didn't have a good foundation to build upon, it was all going to be worthless. And so that's what we talked about was, okay, well, let's evaluate. What are we really building our lives on? Are we, we say it's on Jesus and he's first, but is there other things that we may be relying on? Other things that are a priority over Jesus' our life? And so that's what we did last week. Well, this week we're going to get to the third step. And if you don't like a building metaphor, you're going to hate this sermon. All right, I'm just going to tell you right now, it's not going to connect. It's not going to make it. I'm going to try my hardest, but we're going to talk about building a lot in this service. And one of the things I've learned over the years is I actually really like like construction projects. Um, I've got to be a part of a bunch around here and some residential remodels and building some homes and stuff. And I've learned that I just, I really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a fun process. In fact, if I didn't do this, I'd probably be do something in that. And I don't know if it's because I, I like working with my hands, but I also just like seeing something that's completed at the end of the day, you know? Like in ministry, you go and you go, okay, let's look at the last 10 years. What happened? Okay, all right. Okay, I, don't, I don't know if anything happened or not. I'm hoping that God did something. But at the end of the construction project, you go, ta-da, I built this. I gotta, so what we're going to be talking through is, well, every good construction project, every house that you build, it's got to start with a plan. Because if you don't have a plan, uh, what happens? If you're me, you go in there and you just start destroying things. Like that's my favorite part is just demo. All right, let's go in there. Let's break things up. And then at the end of it, I go, okay, now what? Now what are we going to do, you guys? I don't know. Uh, uh, And that's how some of us live our lives. We just wander through and we go, okay, well, I'm kind of in maintenance mode and I'm kind of just trying to survive. I'm going from one thing to the next thing. And and we never really come up with a a long-term plan. Now, there's others of us who we have a plan. We have a plan for every part of our life, and we have it all detailed out. The problem is we got the wrong plan. And we may end up one day looking back on our life and go, I planned it all out, but I planned it wrong. So there was a lot of um, upheaval this last week on the news about a statue that was revealed um, for MLK, I think it was in Boston. And just like kind of across the board, everybody said, look, we've wanted to love this thing. It's just weird. Right? It is just, it's weird. If you look at it, you go, huh, I didn't really even know what they were going for there. That was a little abstract, I guess. And, and obviously somebody had a plan. Somebody spent a lot of time and a lot of money building this thing, but they built the wrong thing. Because everybody just went, I don't really get it. I'm not sure. And I'd hate for us to end up looking at our lives and saying, well, I'm not really sure I did a great job. I don't really like what I built. So Jesus gives us this insight in a passage that we're going to look at today. And he gives us, I think, three primary questions when it comes to planning out our lives. They're very simple questions. There's nothing really too revolutionary here. But I think it's, it's questions that each of us need to ask ourselves. So if you have your Bibles, um, you can read along with me. If not, it'll be on the screen. Says, in Matthew 25, Jesus gives what's called a parable. If you don't know what a parable is, it's simply a story that Jesus has made up in which he's trying to have some kind of spiritual, moral, theological point. He's trying to, trying to teach us something through this story. In this one, it's called the parable of the talents. Here's what it says. Matthew 25, 14. for it will be like a man going on a journey. So what he's talking about here is he's talking about what it's going to be like when Jesus returns, when he returns one day. Be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now, we're already going to see what the first question is off the bat, but I don't want you to miss this because he's confronting us with not just a question, but like the question. Uh, my wife, this last week, she made this reel. I think it was on Instagram or something, and she showed me it was all the things that we had done as a family. It was like a highlight reel. And one of the things that was on the highlight reel was uh, we got to go to our first ever NFL game. 
My, I'd never been before. My family had never been before, so we went. And man, it is an experience. Have you ever been to an NFL? It's loud. We went to a Rams game. It is, is wild. And I had to quickly kind of adapt and figure out, okay, what was going on. But not just what was going on, but there's like a... So like people say that they don't worship. They're not religious. You ever been to a football game before? They're, wor- they're worshiping. They're, they're religious. In fact, they have a worship song. I didn't know it, but I learned it very quickly. Um, if you've ever been to a Rams game, it goes something like this. Whose house? Rams house. That's what they say. Whose house? And people are like, oh, yeah. And then the 49ers fans at the game were like, no, it's our house. We're going to dominate. They're like, no, we're going to fight. And it's like, let's drink. Okay, it's the whole thing. And so I think that's the question that Jesus confronts us with right off the bat. Whose house is it? Like when you think about your life and you're building this life, who owns it? Now that's a weird question, especially in today's context, because if I were to come up to any person on the street and go, hey, who owns you? What? How dare you? Like it's insulting to even ask that question. Who owns me? I own me. It's my life. I get to make my choices, my decisions, my body. It's everything that I have, my goals, my future. Everything is mine. I don't even understand how you could even ask that question because it's my life. They're my thoughts. They're my decisions. See, we have, uh, from the very beginning, had this desire within the human heart in order to be in control. We want to be in control, especially of our own lives. If you look back to the garden, Adam and Eve, that was what brought them down. was, God, we don't want you to be in control. We want to be in control. And that has been the downfall of humanity ever since. And I think in today's society, we have actually kind of ratcheted up a level, we have become what has been known as hyper-individualists, where we have taken not just this desire for control, but we have turned inward, and we have looked to ourselves for all definition and all expressions of who we are. This, what happens inside is what trumps what happens outside. So, for example, even if morally or physically, or if what I feel inside doesn't align with that, It's the external reality that has to submit to my internal reality. The self has become the primary in everything. And so not only is it my house and I get to decide um, what it's going to look like, but if you stand in the way of the house that I want to build, you're seen as a hater, toxic, a bigot, because it's my house and it's my way. And so we've begun building these, these houses driven by our internal desires, um, to be honest, we've come by this pretty naturally because this is what we've been taught from the earliest ages. So think about, um, what are one of the primary questions you ask kids? What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? The assumption there is that what you do is up to you. You get to decide, and all you have to do is you have to just commit to it, really try, and you get to do what you want to do. Now, uh, famously, Amy and I are kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to teaching our children and encouraging them about their futures. Um, my friend sent me a, a link to a commercial that he said best represented the way that uh, we operate. And it was a commercial of a, a parent, a mom and a dad, and they're watching their son, who's roughly the same age as our middle child, play baseball. This is us to a T, and here's what it, how it goes. Mom says, come on, you've got this. He's up the back. Come on, you've got this. Dad says... If you don't, there's other options. (laughs) Ball goes by. Good eye, says mom. Dad says, eyes are good for lots of things like reading. Mom says, be the best, Caleb. This is so me. Dad says, statistically impossible, Caleb. 
He strikes out and mom says, you'll get them next time. And dad says, you probably won't and it's not going to impact your future whatsoever. <laughs> like that is exactly my wife and I. My son comes up, I'm going to be an MLB. You know, it's not even a question of if, it's just what position am I going to play in? Amy's like, yes, you can do it. And I'm like, it's not going to happen, buddy. It's not going to happen. Uh, look at me. This is what you're going to look like. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's over. Go out there, have some fun. It'll wrap up around eighth grade and we'll be done, okay? <laughs> I know, I'm crushing his dreams at an early, uh, early age. It's going to happen now or later, so I might as well crush him now. So, uh, too dark? Is that too dark for you guys? All right. No, but here's, yes, I, I, I try to make sure he remembers half all of it, but here's what, I, here's what I tell him. I go, buddy, that's a great goal, but you know what a better goal is? It's not, here's what I want to do with my life. I want to be a major league baseball player. You know what a much better goal is? I want to do what God wants me to do with my life. Because that's the question you should be asking. Because you're going to find a lot more fulfillment and satisfaction in doing what God created you to do instead of what you want to do. Because what I have to do is I have to continue to combat this cultural narrative that his life is his and he gets to do with it what he wants. Incorrect. This is just simply not true. Your life is not your own. Contrary to popular belief and everything inside of you that wants it to be your own, it is not. And this is actually really good news. Let me give you two reasons why it's important that you realize that you are not actually the owner of your life. The first one is it's an illusion. You don't actually own your life. You're not in control like you think you are. See, it's funny watching people argue about my rights and my choices and here's what I believe and they have these deepest desires and truths that they hold and I go... You think that you're in control, but you're actually being controlled. You just don't realize it. All the things that you think are true, the desires that you have, these things that you, it's an illusion. So let's do a quick thought experiment, see if I can show this. Is let's look at these two biblical characters, but place them in different cultural contexts and see how it differs. So uh, the two characters is Jacob, if you know him, he's from the Old Testament, and then the woman at the well. So Jacob, he has uh, two wives, and he has spent 14 years trying to pay for them. Then you have this woman at the well that Jesus interacts with, and she's been married numerous times, and he, she was living with her boyfriend. Now, let's take those, those two people, and let's put them in this first scenario, that they're either in the Middle East, they're in Africa, or parts of Asia today. If you took Jacob, he wouldn't be seen as out of place. Polygamy, not a big deal. But if you took the woman at the well, not only would she be an outcast, she might even be stoned to death. Now, let's take those exact same people, same uh, circumstances, but let's put them in a mansion in Beverly Hills. Jacob is probably going to be arrested because he is a polygamist and he's been uh, sex trafficking. But the woman at the well, she would probably get a TV deal to be on Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> She's living her best life. She's expressing herself. You can't tell her what to do. Hilarious. The exact same people put in different cultural contexts, and we have completely opposite results. You know what this tells me? This tells me that even the things that we think are just obviously true, probably not that true. Not necessarily. We may even just believe them and believe them strongly because of the culture that we grew up in. And so we're not in control like, that we, think, like we think we are. Here's the other thing, is if we are the owners of our house, it's a problem because we don't know what we're doing. We don't. One of the things that I'm most convinced about is that humanity just doesn't know how to live life well. We're not good at this. 
We might find one arena of life that we're really good at, like maybe we excel in our careers and we can do, but by and large, when we look at our lives as a whole, we're not good at this. We screw this up every which way possible. And the more that we try to control our lives, um, the worse it gets. We see this throughout human history. We can see it today is we are probably the people who have the most control over their lives individually. That's where this hyper-individualism comes from. And what has the result been as we have gained more and more control out of, of every arena of our life? Has it gotten better or worse? Well, let's look at our culture. Does anybody believe that, whether you're Christian or not, whatever, do you think that we're headed in a good direction as a society? By and large, people say, no, we don't like where we're heading. Let's look at the stats. How are people doing on an individual level? Are they feeling hopeful? Are they excited about their future? No. They're more depressed, more lonely, more anxious, and there's more deaths of despair than in our history. Is there a correlation between us trying to control every single thing in our life and the despair that we're feeling? I think there is. And here's why. Because I think that we were never designed to define ourselves. That self-definition is something that we cannot handle that responsibility. Like, we didn't create ourselves. Why do we think that we can define ourselves? What, what is in us that thinks that we have that kind of expertise and insight? See, Jesus is making a really big claim here. What he's saying in this parable is there is an owner. And in the story, he puts himself there. I am the owner. You are the servants. And the property that I own is you. All your opportunities that you've ever had, all the resources, all the gifts, all, your, all of that was given to you from me, and it's mine. Everything that you have, I'm the owner of. See, as a Christian, not only do we believe that God owns everything, but we've actually invited him into our homes, and we've said, we want you to live here full time. It's yours. All of it. Every room in this house, you get full access to. There's no rooms that are off limits. Everything is yours, and you get to dictate what I do there. And so when I think about my bedroom, you get to tell me, this is what it should look like. When I think about the kitchen, and I think about how I'm supposed to treat myself and the things that I consume, both physically and mentally, you get to decide. I have all access to you. Not only are you the owner, you are a full-time resident in my house. What you say goes. Your house, your rules. He continues on. He says this. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. To each according to his ability. And then he finishes with this. He says, then he went away. So he says, he gives you all of these things, and then guess what he does? He doesn't micromanage us. He doesn't dictate, here's what you're going to do along the way. He goes, now I want you to decide what you're going to do with the talents and gifts that I've given you. Your call. Are you going to use them in order to, to leverage it for my benefit, or is it going to be for yours? He just lets us have free will. We get to decide. Well, the story continues. And uh, while the owner is gone, we find out that the first two servants, they invest their talents well. But the third doesn't invest well. And Jesus, in the story, he, the owner returns, and he wants uh, an account of what they've done while he was gone. And what he's saying here is, at one point, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to settle up with us. And he's going to go, all right, how'd we do? I gave you all these talents. I gave you the relationship. All that, I gave it to you. How'd we do? Did you leverage these things for my benefit or for yours? He says, he's going to ask us. And if we leveraged all of these things for him, 
he says that there's going to be a reward. But if he says it's for us, he says there's going to be a punishment. Here's what's in verse 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. See, when you begin any kind of building project, whatever it is that you're building, you have to begin with the end in mind. Because if you just go in there and you just start making a mess, and you start, it's going to be a disaster. So you've got to figure out, okay, what is the end desire? Where do I want to end up here? What's the vision? What's the goal? In about 2018, as we were praying through um, kind of what the next steps were for us as a church, and we had this building, it was our, our former auditorium, it had been sitting empty, and that we just didn't like that. And, and then this program started, called Rooted that we do started to take off, and community life started to become a bigger and bigger deal to us, and we felt like this is kind of a part of where we're supposed to go as a church. We started to pray, okay, God, what do you want us to do with that space over there? And it came to us one day. It was a very simple line. We want to create a place in which people can do life together. Just that very simple vision. We want to create a place in which people can do life together. And we said, and that's going to be that place. And so some people came alongside of us, and they've they're, uh, been known to be able to build some really great facilities, and they said, okay, here's the first thing you need to do. You need to get a vision for the future. Like paint a picture of what this is supposed to look like. And so they sent us on this like, kind of fact-finding mission. Go and visit some places, look online, get pictures, and we're going to put together like this vision board. And the grid that you're going to run all your decisions through is, is this creating a place in which people want to do life? And it totally transformed how we just thought about that space. Because we thought, okay, well, we're going to need some rooms because people are going to be able to do rooted in there. But like, we also want it to be a place where like, moms and dads can hang out and their kids are running around and it's safe. So maybe there should be a playground in there and then there's got to be a bigger space for this. And we started to dream about, like, okay, what does it look like to create a place in which people can do life together? And so we started to dream and we started to come up with what that vision would look like. And everything was run through that grid. So here's the second question. What is his vision for my life? Not, not, the question is not, what is the vision for my life that I want? What is his vision? What is he calling me to? And I actually think that this is the most logical question that you can ask. See, if you were to look at the logic of faith, here's how it makes sense in my mind. If you're not a Christian, hopefully this will maybe clear up some things for you. The first question I ask is, does God exist? I think there's tons and tons of evidence and reasons to believe that God does exist. Okay, then who is Jesus? Is he really that God? Again, if he raised from the dead, think they're good evidence? Yeah, he is. Okay. Then I need to take all his claims very, very seriously because if he has the ability to raise from the dead, he probably has the authority to speak into my life. And so I take what he says and he says, he says I want your life and I want to dictate and direct everything in it. I go, I should probably listen. That seems to make a lot of sense. And so the question that I should be asking is not what does Cody want, but what does Jesus want for Cody? And so that's the second question. What's the vision that he has for me? Because if he knows best, and he knows me best, and ultimately he loves me, then he's going to answer that question better than I could. So when we uh, started to design that space, the CLC, after we'd gone through kind of the vision and stuff like that, we started to make some, some plans. All right, here's how we're going to see this vision through. And we started to bring it to you guys, and we started telling you about, hey, here's what we're thinking about. And somebody jumped in uh, and said, hey, I want to introduce myself. I go to this church. love what you guys are doing here, and I happen to be an architect. Now, I didn't know it at the time, but he's not like just an architect. He was like an architect that would never return my phone calls, but he did because he loves Jesus kind of thing. You know, like one of those architects where he could do way better things than we could ever imagine kind of architect. 
And he says, um, I like your concept. I like what you're thinking about doing. Can I help map it out for you? And I said, maybe. He said, it's going to be free. I said, it's yours. Let's do it. <laughs> you can do whatever you want, my friend. And so uh, he goes and he maps this out and he brings this presentation to us. And, and you guys have probably seen the pictures. And it is so much cooler than I could have ever imagined. I just looked at it and I went, you can do that? I didn't even know that was a thing. Like that is so, wow. And you're going to, and you can put that. And he just had this whole thing mapped out. And it was something I would have never in a thousand years been able to imagine or design myself. He goes, yeah, I got it. And in fact, um, I'm retiring. And uh, I would love to do this for your entire campus. Can I just design the whole thing for you? I said, still free? Yeah. Okay, it's yours. Still free. That's the right price, my friend. And for the last few years, he has walked through many projects with us, um, all free. And... uh, and we meet almost on a weekly basis, just talking about different things that we're planning and things that we'd like to do. And, and so whenever somebody asks me, like, hey, what do we need to do with this project? Or if somebody comes with a question, I go, why are you asking me? Ask Russell. You know I don't know. Do you want me to answer that question? You want me to design? You want me to tell you how big the footing should be? No, 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 no. Ask Russell. Because here's what's, here's what's true about him. He knows more than I know. He has resources that I don't have. He has experiences. He understands plans. He, he can do a far better job than I can at building this building. Isn't that true of Jesus? Why are you asking me how I should live when it comes to my money, when it comes to my sexuality, when it comes to the way that I treat my spouse? I screw this up every time. Ask him. He knows way better than I know. And as you begin to walk with Jesus and you start to realize how much more he knows than you know, eventually you just come to the place where you go, I don't know, just ask him. I don't even trust myself to make those decisions. Just ask him. Whatever he says, that'll be the right answer. And here's what's cool. Is as you begin to live out all the things that Jesus has laid out for us, your house is going to look a lot different than everybody else on the block. At first, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense. People are going to look at the way that you're building your life, building your house, and they're going to go, huh, that's not at all how the rest of us would do it. Really? That's how you're going to design it? Oh, all right. But then things will start to take shape, and eventually they're going to come to a place where they're going to step back, and they're going to go, oh, I see what they were doing there. Oh, that makes so much, that is, that's beautiful. I wish my marriage looked like that. I wish my kids were more like theirs. I wish I had that kind of peace that they have. See, what ends up happening is instead of you trying to build this house in which it may or may not turn out well, you give it to Jesus and he builds something far better than you and I could ever build. That's what it means to be Christian. That's what it means to trust Jesus. So what's the guiding principle here? Uh, what, is, uh, what is Jesus trying to communicate? He says it right here. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. See, that's the guiding principle. At the end of the day, We'll talk about all the details and all the nuances and all the things, but what does he want? He wants us to be faithful. He says, everything that you do, I want you to run it through that grid. Am I being faithful? When I look at my finances, am I being faithful? When I look at my relationships, am I being faithful? When I look at my hopes and my dreams and my goals, am I simply being faithful? Now, this does make an assumption that somehow we know what it means to be faithful, See, being faithful means I understand what God wants, what his will is for my life. When I was a young adults pastor for um, about 10 years, there would not be a week that went by in which a young adult would not come to me and go, I just don't know what God is calling me to do. 
I don't know who I'm supposed to marry, and I don't know the career and where I'm supposed to live, and I just, it's all a big question mark. I don't know. We, we started to talk about, it's called the decision decade, your 20s, because 80% of life's decisions are made in your 20s, and then the rest of us, we got to live with them for the rest of our life, right? Yeah, it's daunting. And so we would talk about, we would talk about God's will, and eventually I came to the realization, I think we're asking the wrong question. Like, if you look back in Christian history at some of the most impactful um, writers and thinkers, people like Martin Luther and Augustine and um, Edwards, you see that they never asked this question, what is God's will for my life? They never asked it. That's a pretty modern question that we've asked. It's really in the last like 30 or 40 years that Christians have been trying to figure out what is God's will, and we, there's tons of books about discerning God's will, and yeah, that's a good question, but that's the wrong question to be asking, at least at first. The question is not, what is God's will for my life? The question is, what is God's will? That's it. What is God's will? What does God want from me as one of his followers? Like, generally, what is he calling me to do? See, I think that we have to first understand what it means to know God's will before we can understand what it is to know God's will for my life. Let me see if I can make sense of this. So um, over the years, as I've got to be part of different construction projects, I've learned a couple things about reading construction plans. I'm not great, but I can kind of get by now. And here's how they seem to always go, is on the first page, you have the general layout, and you can all look at it and go, yep, that's my house. I recognize it because has my address right there at the bottom, right? Like, that's my house. I get it. And so it starts with a very generic, like, here's what I want the future house to look like, the vision. But then as you begin to uh, get into it, you start to realize, well, the next page is the demo plan. What do I need to eliminate in order to reach the vision that I have from, for this house? Remember we talked about that? That was week one. Week one was, we have to clear this stuff out if we want to be able to build something that God wants us to build, okay? So then we continue on, and as you go through these plans, and I'm not going to go through every single plan, but as you go through, you go, okay, now here's kind of the detail of what this is going to look like and how we're going to build, and as you continue on, the, the plans get more and more and more detailed, more and more focused, we start with, here's the big picture, here's kind of the general way that we're going to do things, and then it goes through, okay, here's the plumbing and the electrical, and then it goes through, the, it even has a foundation, and here's how you're going to build it and make sure it's strong, and eventually you get to, and this is a place where I remember seeing this for the first time going, is that even, what is happening here? It's the detail page. It zooms into the tiniest, most minute places, and it says, now here's exactly how you're going to build this. Here's how this hanger and this joist are going to come together and this, and it's extremely detailed. So I think this is how God works. Is he goes, let's start with the general, and then we'll work towards the more specific. Let's start with the big stuff, and then let's work down toward those tiny deals. But what we want to do is we want to do it in reverse. Hey, okay, good, good. All that stuff's going to be great in demo. But can we get to the granite countertops? Because you know I'm pretty excited about those. <laughs> can we get to the more detailed, fun stuff, like the finishes? I'd really like to worry about it. And he goes, what? That, that's like way down the line. Okay, here's how deep theolo theologian Cody thinks about things. Walls before wallpaper. That's it. That's my takeaway. Walls before wallpaper. Yeah, we want to get to the wallpaper. That's the fun part. Tell me that, that, that's the part I like. I had to choose. No, no, no. You got to have walls first before you get wallpaper. You're looking at me with blank stares. Like, what is he even talking about right now? 
Okay, here's what I mean. Is walls are the structures in place. And on those structures, we can finally have wallpaper. So what are the structures, for example? Well, you want the wallpaper. You want to know, who am I supposed to marry? And God's going, but you don't have any walls. You haven't built walls of purity yet. Why would I tell you who to marry when you don't even have the walls in place yet? Or you're going, God, guide me on this business decision. I really need to know what I'm supposed to do or help me get to this next level. Or, and he's going, wait, wait, we haven't built any walls of generosity yet. Why are we talking wallpaper? There's no walls there yet. See, what he wants us to ask is, okay, what is your will for me as a believer? Before we get to the specifics. Because I've got to have the walls in place before I've got the wallpaper and here's what Jesus says. He says, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Because here's what happens. He goes, once you've begun building these walls, and I know that you can be trusted to put the structures in place, then I'm going to give you all the great finishes that you're wanting. We'll start talking about the details. But I first got to know that you're going to be responsible. So here's the third question. This is a question that we started with. What's the plan? All right, so all this is true. We got to do walls over wallpaper. We got to determine who is the owner of this house. We've got to be faithful. We've got to follow. We've got to do all that kind of stuff. What, what is it? Here's what he says John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, so remember, that's, that's us. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. Super simple. He said it right away. He said it multiple times. He said it when all of us came into a relationship with him. His first words to us were, follow me. You want to know the plan? That's the plan. Follow me. And we go, I need more. I need more details. I'm not going to give you more details. What I told you was, follow me. Because here's what will happen. If I give you all the details, this would be like giving the details to my kids and going, can you build this for me, please? And they're going to go, huh? And maybe even attempt to build something, it's going to be a disaster. And so he goes, okay, let's start with the first page. And then as you become my apprentice and you follow me along, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you how to read the plans. I'm going to teach you what the next steps are. And I'm going to reveal what the next page looks like. But you first got to follow me. And then here's what's going to happen. We're going to build this thing together. Because if I gave you the plans right now, you would just try to go and build this thing yourself. And it would be a mess. And so we're going to do this thing together. So in order to follow Jesus, obviously there has to be a conscious decision that I want to follow Jesus, but then there has to be practical application. And that's where these spiritual disciplines come in that we talk about all the time. All right, in order to follow Jesus, I've got to, I've got to pray, I've got to read scripture, I've got to come together and worship, and I've got, all of those are, are, are true. But once a year, what we try to do is we try to practice not just those spiritual disciplines, but we add some. The main one is fasting. So this weekend, actually, is the weekend in which we kick off a 21-day fast, where we spend the next 21 days fasting from something. And so if you don't know what fasting is, fasting is what we do is we stop doing something that's probably good in order to do something that's better. So the thing that we stop doing is, uh, for me, I'll just tell you right, uh, straight off, is um, I stop doing two things. I fast for the next 21 days. I have a very uh, heavily modified diet, very similar to the Daniel uh, fast or Daniel plan. If you don't know what that is, you can look at our website. We laid it all out. So I do that. And then I do this other thing, which is equally as difficult, if not more, which is I don't have entertainment for the next 21 days. This means I deleted Netflix and all of my podcasts. And I don't, I know, pray for me. It's tough. Last night I deleted them after service and I just went, Lord, I need you. You know, it's just, it's tough. 
because I'm gonna st- what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to take that time that I normally allocate, which is way too much on entertainment, I'm going to say, I'm going to do something better. I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to pray. I might even read some books that uh, are, are a little bit more theological in nature. You know what? Because I'm going to take this opportunity, because here's what happens in this, in, when you fast, is oftentimes you have some sort of breakthrough. Because often what we do, and maybe food isn't your thing, maybe it's entertainment or something, but what we do is um, we try to avoid all the things that are bubbling up in our lives, oftentimes the things that are God, God's trying to communicate, and we go, oh, don't want to feel that, eat, 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 watch, watch, scroll, scroll, you know, I don't want to think, but when we fast, we step back and we go, okay, God, what are you trying to t- teach me? What are you trying to do in my life? I want to make sure that I've created a space in order for you to communicate and for me to hear. It's also a great exercise in showing Jesus that he's first. Okay, I say that you're first. I'm going to show you that you're first. Instead of running towards all the things that I want that are going to soothe me and going to make or at least suppress what I'm I'm going to go to you instead. And so as a church, every year, we've been doing this for a few years now, is we do a 21-day fast. And we say, hey, everyone can do this. Whether you're brand new to faith or you've been doing this a long time, pick one, two, few things and begin to fast with us. In fact, our team has created a 21-day fast devotional. It's available for free out in the lobby for you to follow along with us. Um, Because if we are not the owners, if he is the owner, then it's going to be his will, not mine. And if he's deciding what we're going to do, he's telling us, well, I want you to be faithful. And if being faithful simply means by following him, then this may be the next step for some of us, or for a lot of us. And so I'd invite you into this next 21 days. It may be something that's transformative. It has been for for many of us. And it is definitely a way in which we can take that next step of faith. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us this place in which we can come together and we can worship and we can learn and ultimately we can take these next steps of faith. And so, Lord God, um, I just pray that wherever we are in our faith journey, that we would just take that next step. Um, We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to know what the end looks like. We just simply got to be faithful. And so, Lord, for the next 21 days, we're going to lean into that and we're going to just ask that you would speak to us, that you may even provide a breakthrough for us, Lord God. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, will you guys stand with me? Um, real quick, I've got three questions that I want to end with. Whose house? Some of you guys said Ram's house. You just woke up because you stood up. You just caught the beginning and the end of the sermon. Okay. Uh, what's his vision for our life? Faithfulness. Faithful. What's his vision for our life? And what's the plan? Follow me. Follow me. All right, guys, have a, a great week. We'll see you next week, and God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message, and remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.